we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians. And my desire this morning is to just get a, a big picture of the book of Galatians. And about a year ago, as I thought about doing the book of Galatians, I thought, okay, what would the, the best way to do this be? And thought of several things of what I thought we might want to do. And I remembered my dad, whenever he taught through the book of, of James one time, that he memorized the book of James and kind of, uh, kind of recited the book of James as he began the series. And that was very powerful to me. He taught it at a youth retreat I was, I was at. And I just thought, boy, that was, that was so helpful for me to understand the whole picture of the book of, of James. And I thought, well, that might be the case with Galatians as well. And so I, I, in December, I started memorizing Galatians. And what I would do is, I'd, you know, the mornings I'd go for a run, and I would just memorize a verse a day. And then the next day, another verse. And once a week or two, kind of put everything together. And I, I wanted to be able to do this because, first of all, I hadn't been as faithful at Scripture memory consistently as I would like to, and I, I wanted to really be faithful in that discipline, and I wanted to also really know the book of Galatians. And I wanted to, as, as we went through the book of Galatians on our first Sunday together, I wanted to be able to, to do so in the most helpful way possible. So in a way that wasn't very distracting, but allowed it to be kind of uh, considered as a whole in a way that would help us think about the text in, in its fullness. And so I, I started memorizing, and uh, you know, just between you and me, I don't believe that I have a gift at memory. Uh, on my runs, you know, I'd listen to a verse, then I'd forget it the next day and had to go through it again, and repeat it a bunch. Um, you know, I think uh, I was in the hospital with my dad in January, and so I'd just been starting this process of memorizing the first chapter of Galatians, and my dad is there in the hospital bed in a lot of pain, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll try to recite a little bit to kind of take his mind off the pain, and so I I started reciting the, the book of Galatians chapter 1, and I paused for a second, and, and Dad in his pain, like, finished the sentence for me, like, and I said, look, Dad, just why don't you take some pain meds or something, like, he had a better memory than I did <laughs> in pain in a hospital bed than, than I have just on my own. A few weeks ago, some of you, uh, some of you were kind enough to call me out on this last uh, couple weeks ago, I, I while I was doing the benediction, lost my train of thought. A verse that I say every week for 10 years I struggled with. So this isn't my natural strength, but here's what I'm saying. Um, I know the book of Galatians so much more deeply than I, I did in December. And I want to exhort our church to be a church that's faithful in memorizing God's Word, and I want to be faithful in that as well. And so, you know, I'm going to try this morning to, to get through this, to help us see the whole picture of the book of Galatians. I have never done it perfectly. I don't anticipate doing it perfectly now. I'm going to have the text open here, and I may pause for a second and try to find it. You know, Heather, if, if, I, if I go way off the rails and I'm, I skip, like, give me a verse, but if I skip two verses, just interrupt me. I want to be able to make sure we get the right thing here. And uh, I've I memorized it in the ESV, and so that's, that's the text that we're going to be looking at. And if, just so you know, there's different versions of the ESV, so if what I'm saying doesn't match yours, that's what the issue is. Um, <laughs> that's true and not true, okay? Um, I may stop and restart, and that's okay. 
So let me do this. Let me just set up Galatians a little bit. We're going to do more of this in the coming weeks, but let me just a little bit of Galatians. And then, uh, Heather, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to talk through the outline real quick. We'll pray. Then we'll go through the book of Galatians, Lord willing. We'll pray at the end, and we'll just kind of be silent after we pray, and the worship team will come up for our, our last song, and can it be. So here's Galatians. Let me just give you, first of all, a little background, and then we'll go through the, then we'll go through the outline. Paul is converted, right? He's converted to Christianity, the Apostle Paul. You see that in Acts chapter 9. And in his first missionary journey, he travels to the area of Galatia. Uh, Acts chapters 13 and 14 talk about this. And his ministry there is fruitful. People place their faith in Jesus Christ. They hear the gospel message. They hear that Jesus is the Christ, that he came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for their sins, and they can be justified. They can be declared righteous by God through their faith in Jesus Christ. And so they, they place their faith in him. And things are going well. Then at, at some point, at some point, some people who would say that they're Christians but are also Jewish come into this, this area and they begin to tell the people that Paul has preached the gospel to, these people who are Gentiles, who've become Christians, they begin to tell them, look, you need to become Jews. The gospel was originally given to Abraham. These promises were made to Abraham, and Abraham was circumcised, and then came the, the law that was given to Moses, and then uh, Christ is the fulfillment of the, the law, or he's prophesied in the law, the prophets. If you really want to receive the, the promises that were made to Abraham, if you want to receive all of those things that God promised to Abraham, you need to become Jewish. You need to follow the law. You need to get circumcised. You need to connect to all those things so that you can experience the fullness of the things that were promised to Abraham. And the Gentile Christians, they, they're not sure about this. It's, it's different than when Paul, Paul never mentioned these things, but these people have God's word and they seem to be convincing. And so the people there in Galatia begin, they begin to uh, become Jewish. They begin to follow the law. They begin to observe the customs. And then Paul hears about this. And Paul is, is deeply disturbed by what's happening because he recognizes this as a gospel issue. First of all, it's a gospel issue because you cannot simultaneously believe that you're saved 100% through Jesus Christ and through your own works. Those, those, those things are incompatible. And so he recognizes that they're trusting their own works and observance of the law in order, to be declared, in order to be declared fully righteous before God. And so that's a concern for Paul. And Paul is also concerned because he recognizes that the life that they're living is, is a fleshly life. It's not a spirit-filled life. It's not a life dependent upon the spirit. And so he's concerned that they're living in bondage to the law as opposed to freedom in Christ. And he wants them to experience the fullness of freedom that's offered in the true gospel. So that's a little bit of the background. Finding freedom in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as I go through this this morning, you're going to have on the projector, the, the screen behind me, kind of an outline of the book of Galatians, because I thought that might be helpful. So you also, as you came in, if you grab some of the notes, you'll see that there's an outline of the book of Galatians. And, and this is kind of a rough draft outline. We may be I spent a lot of time kind of thinking through how to word things, but 
never, you know, you never feel, fully feel like you've perfectly outlined Scripture sometimes, right? But this is kind of a, a broad, some broad brushstrokes to help us think about the book of Galatians this morning, and then we'll go back through this in, in more detail as we preach through Galatians in the coming months. And by the way, uh, this, this will take me a while to get through, and so if, if you want to memorize through Galatians as well, you have more than enough time if you do like half a verse a day, okay? Just throwing, throwing that, that out there. Here's a little bit of the outline to kind of prepare us as we get ready to go through this. And as I kind of go through the epistle, you can listen to it in several ways. You can read along in your Bible, although I don't necessarily recommend that. Um, it might be distracting if I make too many mistakes, but also um, this might be a different way to read through Galatians. So you can check along with this. You can just listen. You can kind of see the, the pro presenter of the PowerPoint as well. Here's the outline, kind of big picture here. First of all, we're going to talk about the source, or Paul is going to talk about the source of the true gospel. Here's, here's where the true gospel came from. It came not from people, but from God. And he's going to begin by condemning the false gospel. Then letter B is going to defend the true gospel. And his main argument is going to be, look, the, the gospel came from God. Didn't receive it from any man, wasn't taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, he's going to say. And then he's going to support his argument several ways. He's going to talk about how his conversion proves that his gospel is true. He's going to talk about how Christ's revelation to him proves that the gospel is true. He's going to talk about the apostles' confirmation and how they, they heard the gospel that he preached and they, they confirmed it. And then he's going to talk about how his confrontation with Cephas, with Peter, proves that his gospel is true. So that's the, the source of the true gospel. That's in chapter chapters 1 and chapters 2, the source of the true gospel. And this is very autobiographical. It's like Paul's telling his story. Then we come into chapters 3 and 4. And in chapters 3 and 4, we see the content of the true gospel. So what's, what's in this true gospel? He's going to begin by saying, look, life in Christ, Christianity begins and continues by faith, not by works. So you come into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and you continue in that relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and not by the law. He's going to say, look, you're, you're foolish, you're deceived, or who has deceived you? And then he's going to talk about how life in Christ means receiving the blessing of Abraham, not by works, but by faith. So here's this blessing of Abraham that they've been promised. The Judaizers are telling them, look, you need, to, you need to become a Jew to get the blessing of Abraham. And Paul's going to say, no, no, no. The blessing of Abraham is received by faith, not works. And then he's going to say, the law then brings not a blessing but a curse that we need to be redeemed from. He's going to say that the law does not cancel the promises made to Abraham that are fulfilled in Christ. So the law comes, it doesn't do away with the promises. Those promises are fulfilled in Christ. And then he's going to say, um, life in Christ means we don't even uh, need the law anymore. And a couple things about the law there. But then you go to letter D, and it says life in Christ means we're sons and heirs. So in chapter 4, he's going to t talk a lot about how we are, we are God's children. We've been adopted. And what does that mean? We experience new life as adopted children in God's family. We face the absurd temptation to turn back to slavery. He's going to talk about resisting that. He's going to talk about learning from the example of Sarah and Hagar. And then that brings us to the final section. So we've talked about the source of the true gospel. And he tells, tells his story. Then he tells the, the content of the, the, tr the true gospel. And then he goes into the freedom of the true gospel. 
And he exhorts us, first of all, hey, stand firm in your freedom. Stand firm in your freedom. Then he's going to exhort people to walk by the Spirit. You have this, this freedom that allows you to serve one another in love. Your freedom allows you to walk in the Spirit and not the flesh. And then finally, there's going to be an exhortation. Finally, there's going to be an exhortation to, to bear each other's burdens. That's, that's chapter 6. And we'll kind of go through chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens. Test your own work. You're going to sow what you reap, walk by this rule of faith, and then he's going to conclude, okay? So that's, that's the big picture. So let's pray. Then we're going to go through the, the letter here of Paul. Then we're going to pray again. I encourage you just to kind of be silent as we end the letter and prepare your hearts to receive God's word. Father, we thank you for this epistle that we're beginning this morning. We pray that by your grace you would help us to think rightly about you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help me not to be distracting in going through this word, but to be clear, uh, help uh, my mind not to be tired, but to think rightly about your words here. And, And I pray that you would allow us to experience the freedom of faith in your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Paul an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I was trying to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit visit Peter. 
and remained with him 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. But because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law... I died to the law 
so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are blessed. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then it is those of faith who are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed be everyone Curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, It no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law 
then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that would give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain." Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. 
I wish I could be present with you now. Change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So you, brother, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the free woman shall not inherit with the son of the free, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And Father, we pray by your grace that the words of this epistle would be true in the life of 
each of us. Just individually first, we would look to your son Jesus and place our trust and our confidence in him alone for salvation. And then by your grace that we as a church would believe the gospel and that we would proclaim the gospel in the way that we treat one another. We pray that as a, as a church, we would be led by the, the spirit and not the flesh. The works of the flesh would find no, no hold here, no anchor here, but they, as we confront those things, that we would turn from them and turn to your son Jesus and the fruit of the spirit would be manifested among your people here in our church by your grace. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.